Hey, this is Stu Grimson, the Grim Reaper, formerly of the Hustlin' Herd, University of Manitoba Bisons, and this is the Monday Nooner Podcast. Well, hello and a big welcome to all the degenerates and pigeons tuned in. Welcome to Twirl 132 of the Monday Nooner Podcast. Our pod, as always, brought to you by the King of Trucks in Rosetown, Saskatchewan. That would be Mainline GM and Mainline Chrysler, both worth the drive every time guaranteed. We've got some new info on some deals and discounts happening at the King of Trucks. But fellas, it's good to be back, and it's good to have a full episode with an interview. I feel like it's been a while, not just senior hockey this show, but uh, an absolute legend. So welcome back, fellas. You know, with the week we're in here, Agribition Week, Boz, if you would have told me 132 <laughs> episodes ago from CEO Sean Kindop, no, hey, ready to buzz. Yeah, excited to be back here with the fellas, and uh, yeah, let's get her going. High and tight. For, for the life of me, I don't know why we don't get Kinner back on. Like I interview I, time. I feel like uh, you know he's uh, he'd be itching to come back on. He's been doing think, a lot of media lately. I think his skills been. are getting improving. He's getting CTV morning live hits, and uh, he's getting the questions him. asked to him. Can now he ask the questions? I think it'd be. I'm surprised they then. haven't said on CTV. Do you have any great fart stories? <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite vino. Yeah. Favorite vino. Uh, for people that have only listened to this podcast in the last year and a half, that's going to make absolutely no sense to you. So yeah. we apologize to that, but we're going to keep things on the roll. And like Brandon likes to say, we're going to keep it high and tight on this program. We should we should mention the King of Trucks before we forget right off the hop. We got some new details on what's going on at the uh, title sponsor. 20% off Ram class, Ram Classics at the Chrysler store. So they've got uh, some big discounts and the high mileage club going on at the GM store. High mileage vehicles get 20, 20% off parts and labor in December. So might as well save. And if you're looking online and you're shopping vehicles and you're like, ah, I can't really get there. First off, the podcast doesn't happen without these guys. And I'm not trying to guilt you into buying your next vehicle from them, but maybe just think about it, it, please. Because they've been pretty awesome to us. And if you're online and you're shopping for a vehicle and you can't really get there and you want to do like a walkthrough with a video, they'll do that for you. Or, hey, Shouty Scotty, he'll get down on the deck. He'll take a picture of that bumper and that front tire and and he'll show you a nice picture of whatever unit you want. So the King of Trucks GM in Rosetown and, of course, the Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. Let's jump into our uh, let's jump into our last show recap, man. It was so long ago that we last had a guest on the show. Who was our last guest? Fernando Pisani in the last show recap, always for Arctic Spas in Saskatoon and Regina. You're a senior hockey player. Heck, if you're probably any hockey player, you walked you in there this one. month. They'd give you the discount. So thanks to them for sponsoring the tub, starting at like nine grand. Arctic Spa built in Canada. They're the best. So tub season. Around Christmas time, like we talked about with a couple of last mountains, tub season with the misses after yep. some revive treatment. We'll get into that later. <laughs> really? um, yeah, so visit Arctic Spa, Sunset Bay in Regina or Arctic Spa in Saskatoon. That's a great interview. Yeah, he was awesome. There was something in the air that night for sure. He was uh, he was flying. He had some great stories from the Oilers days. Really great. I love talking about the 06 run because I was, like I said in the interview, 14 years old. Dialed into every one of those games, and yeah, you're a big Oiler guy though, so that was that was a good interview for you. It was fun. Yeah, Enjoyed. he was good. Top top two, Tanner Glass still number one. I think the second best draft story 
that we yeah. had was Fernando Pisani's finding out about the draft. And if you haven't listened to it, you got to go back and listen. Uh, I would say it's the second best draft story. Tanner Glass still takes the cake there. And then talking about the college parties and how he would walk in and they'd play the ABBA song. <laughs> I thought that was just the tops. Yeah. yeah so no, he's really good. Go back and listen to it. The last show recap for Arctic Spa in Saskatoon and Regina. Let's get into the, uh, let's get into the come up. Come up this week for General Well Servicing, Day Group of Companies, Carnduff, Saskatchewan. They cover all of the southeast, southwestern Manitoba. I don't know what those guys are doing, but they are busy down there. Fowler and the crew, they're expanding. It seems like they've always got new projects on the go. But if you're looking for a good job, good pay, hard work, we will preface it as hard work, but you will be rewarded handsomely for it. Go check them out. Uh, General Well Servicing, also a sponsor of our Senior Hockey Top 10. We appreciate those guys big time as well. Coming up in the program. So our Senior Hockey Show dropped a couple of days ago. And we have some news, though. Like, we just we, we recorded it Monday, released it Tuesday. Now we're releasing it. There, some things have changed. So we're going to have some Senior Hockey Talk in the back half of this program. But our interview... We've been chasing him for a while. We finally got him on. Former Regina Pat, University of Manitoba Bison. It's really weird. He <laughs> played in Calgary, Chicago, ever. Stu Grimson, the Grim Reaper. Is this guy intelligent and can he talk? Yeah, what a guy. I was a super interview. Like I'm I'm for me, this this one might even be top five. He's I, uh, I thought he was great. Super polished. If you've never seen him at like a sports dinner or an event, like he's He's polished. He's an attorney. After his NHL career, he went to become an attorney. We didn't really talk much about that, didn't have time, but he's a best-selling author with his book, The Grim Reaper. He's on the NHL Network. So I guess just we mentioned it in the interview, but really appreciate him taking time for us because uh, he's got a lot going on that's probably a little more important than uh, us, but he made it work. So appreciate it. There you go. That's the come up for general. And hang on, I got one more thing, Barney, before you get into it. Sorry, near the end, near the end of the show, we're going to have a a DeVito update. Haven't had a DeVito update for a long time. For those of you listened last year, you'll be getting your DeVito fill today. That That one's for high tech. And I was just going to say the DeVito update, of course, always brought to you by High Tech Profile. So let's get into shout outs right off the bat here. Keeping it high and tight like we talked about. And shout outs for Synergy AG, your crop input retailer locally in Saskatchewan, whatever you need. There's a million, not a million, but there's a quite a few locations. You can look them Definitely. up and they will hook you up. Synergy AG, they are have been with the Monday Nooners since day one. I'm going to start shout outs, guys, because I'm rolling here. Uh, couple. Everyone who's messaged me, and <laughs> you guys are going to roll your eyes. <laughs> Everyone that's read Cold a Long Time, that book that I've pushed on here a few times. <laughs> no free I've ads. Free he should mess- be giving you royalties on I that was, book. I was, they should be Nooner giving promo code. royalties. Nooner yes. promo code. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get the author on. I think that'd be a nice little 20, 15 minute back half interview, but I've had a three messages in the last month of guys that have read that book. So you cold a long time. And then my second shout out, uh, Carmen Curtis, and then all women and men who run small town rinks. So Carmen yeah. does the Bethune rink. He's grinding. I can't, for me, I'm not punch press guy or, or like working at a, at an assembly line. I couldn't imagine driving a Zamboni all the time like once or twice would be really fun but doing it constantly so just thank you to everyone that puts in the time in these small towns saskatchewan manitoba alberta wherever hockey rinks shout out to you guys 
Belter, what was the name of that lady down in that one town that's like 80 and doesn't smoke cigarettes? Uh, can't remember. Let's call her Helen. I can't that was remember. a shout out last show, I think, yeah. or two shows ago. Hey, while we're uh, giving shout outs to books, you guys want to borrow this one. Ooh, Dave King. Loose pucks and ice bags. Nooner 20. Save 20%. If you I would like to borrow that. it from me. Yeah. One of my got favorite a, guests. One of my got favorite a writing. guests, Dave King. Barry Trotz has got a little quote on the back, former guest as well. So nice. We're talking about books. There's one you people should pick up. You guys are educated. I got hey. a couple shout outs. You got anything, Bells? I got moving, one. I'm moving to Clavette. I'm so educated. <laughs> Solicitors. Uh, he got a shout out this week. Ended up on the horn with uh, our buddy. You just mentioned him, Trent Meyer, high tech profiles. We were BSing. Both uh, quietly complaining about uh, Hockey Regina like we always do, even though we still love Hockey Regina. We were complaining about anyway, BSing about how it's hard. Our, our team, Barney, our girls team for the Rebels girls, it's sometimes tough to get girls sponsorship money. We're just BSing about it. He went through the Hockey Hero stuff like that, whatever we hung up. Text me a few hours later. He says, you know what, Belts? I got some money in my budget. I know you guys are going to the uh, Wick Fest this weekend with the girls. He says, I'm going to chuck 500 or over for the uh, for the meals and one of the ice times for the girls. So No way. Yeah. Huge shout out to him, man. Like just offered it up. So yeah, the manager got in touch with him. He gave it uh, to the to the girls. So we're going to get a get him a signed picture and stuff uh, from the girls. So we really appreciate that. Like uh, what a weapon. What What can we get him? As a podcast, that's a freaking solid. Does he have the new Canada hat? I'm not sure yet. We should oh, get got, him a. We I should get him, him a hat, shirt, Duke, Duke combo. It's coming. I got it already here. For we him. should outfit his whole family. Yeah, get them all done up. We will. Benny. Yeah. Benny needs a toque for I got sure. I want to see Ben it Meyer next week. So Ben, my thanks so much, Trent Meyer. So any shout outs? Anybody else? Yeah, Something I got down? a shout out for uh, the men, women, and and volunteers, mainly chaperones that like take kids to agribition and have to oh. teachers as well. But I know there's a lot of volunteers and parents like that. This is beaded this last week. She did. That seems Good. like my biggest nightmare dragging oh. like 30 kids around agribition with cows Terrible. and stuff and kids are missing. And like, you got to have an ultimate amamount of patience to be able <laughs> to do in, that. You would be good at shit. it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some kudos right now. You Me? would be good at yes, you would be you, good at it. You, you are yeah. good with kids. Yesterday you came over. You haven't been over in, yeah, in but... forever, and you picked up a box of stuff. And my daughter Gabrielle comes down the stairs, big smile. Oh hi! You 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 got something with kids, man. Yeah, but one or two kids, but thirty kids in a big public venue like that, like that's a stress stressful situation. They, One's got to pee. One just peed themselves. They One give you crying. a group. They give you a group though, like three or four, right? Max. Like, and that's your little group. For oh, me. okay. It's only three yeah, or four. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, shout they, out to all those buzz. people. Cause I was at Agribition. There was like 10,000 kids there. And I'm like, man, this is a zoo. I was just bothered just walking through all the crowds. So <laughs> Let's shout out to all those people. Before we get into the interview, I'm going to bust this on the front half, on the front nine this time. Let's get into take a seat, son, for the rusty shovel. Wow. Yes. Heavy. The old swapperoo. I like it. Rusty Shovel, uh, the owner's traveling, golfing down south. So go in there now, probably get a deal on some things for the yeah. uh, for the spring season. Stefan uh, 20 promo code. Yeah, Stefan 20. I got, okay, you, who's, who's got to take a seat? You guys got to have. I got a couple. I got two. I got two good ones. I'll, I'll, I'll give this first one. And I mentioned it last year. And then these, these people should freaking go to jail. Not long, six, 12 months. Anyone that shovels their freaking snow onto the middle of the street. You said that last year too. I love it. I know. It. That's what I just said. You're a psycho. 
You are a psychopath. You know why everyone else doesn't do it? Because the road would look freaking awful. Pile it up on the side. You are, you, you don't belong in society. You need to be locked up if you <laughs> push your snow under the street. Classic. Stefan like that. Get one of those thingamajiggers. Clear your snow with a. Yeah, get a thingamajigger. My wife wants me to buy a snowblower. We don't have a big enough driveway to have a snowblower. What I want to buy is some sort of contraption, like a quad with a with blade. We don't have enough room. We don't have enough room for a snowblower. We're going to buy a quad. Park it on the side. Plug it in. (laughs) (laughs) Get Rome's to do it. Hey, you know who can take a seat? The you know you got the, into the advertiser advertising last year, Barn. This Rogers that Rogers Rap in Red event commercial. Have you seen that on or saw it on TV? Oh my god! So. Whatever. I anyway. If you if anyone knows what I'm talking about, that freaking ad. I hate it so much. You can freaking suck it. I'll never buy anything Rogers because of that stupid ad. Take <laughs> a seat, Rogers. I got uh, take a seat to anybody who. Pronounces the day of the week Tuesday and not Tuesday. Oh yeah. Who hey. says Tuesday? I saw I, a reporter on TV say practice the next practice is Tuesday. And I'm like, uh I was in Winyard and I was <laughs> Winyard. talking to a guy. I was, in, I was in Winyard the other day, and Wrong. this guy said, Hey, when you get back from Calgary, we'll have a oh, we'll have that's a right. We'll have a practice on Tuesday. There. Calgary's right. Calgary wrong. Is it Calgary or Calgary? The locals say it's Calgary. There's no Gary. Even though it looks like a Gary, it's not a Gary. So like Just, Barney's Winyard. Apparently, it's the same thing. It's Winyard, not Winyard. Hmm? Well, Allegedly. Which, which makes me think of one thing. Yesterday on our senior show, we talked about a guy named Jesse. I said Meachin. I think it's Mitchin. So maybe don't listen to me for all your pronunciation advice. I'm as bad as Belts is. Uh... Well, we'll find we'll find out when the Oilers the Oilers announcers what they say. Hey, when he's in the show. Hey, you know who else can take a seat? Women that buy little paring knives, but the serrated ones. It annoys me to know, and my wife does this. I go into the drawer to get a sharp little knife to cut a piece of fruit or cut a pet, uh, apple up for Sam or whatever the case may be, and I grab one of these fucking serrated knives all the time and you can't cut shit with them why do you need a small serrated knife for i get so, you need a big one for bread i get you need a big one to cut the bread but what do you need a really small one for you got to tell me because it drives me up the wall so only women who buy them what about men who buy them they don't have to take well, a seat they have to take a seat too i'm prefacing my wife so she can take a seat for buying them it annoys so the shit one, out of me one woman one woman mrs b mrs b bad play Take a seat for the rusty shovel. I don't think I have any other ones. Oh, I do actually have a couple quick ones. Yes. Take a seat to the haircut or dentist small talk conversation. I hate when you're having you're at an appointment, whether it's dentist or haircut, and they want to like talk about life. And it's just like I don't I didn't come here to have a <laughs> therapy session. But the I do dentist like dentist one's the worst. The dentist one, it's impossible because it's impossible. you can't talk. And then they'll ask ah. you, oh. <laughs> or you'll get the two hygienists that are together and they're just talking and you're just like, just stop talking. I'm here in peace. I come here in peace and silence. I hate it. What about what about when you go to, maybe it's not one of them, but anything. And then there's two of them and they're in a different language. And then oh, now, you know, now you know, you're, now you know they're talking you. about you. Yeah. Probably. Making fun of you. For sure. I hate those conversations. Hate them. 
Take a seat. The rusty shovel, like Barney said, the owner's golfing probably. You get a big discount. Stefan 20, walk in there, order up your stuff for next year. He won't even know till it gets here. Pay for it early. All's good. Hey, I got before we get into our interview, I got to give a plug here to our friends at the Last Mountain Distillery in Lumsden, Saskatchewan. Cherry whiskey, big debate with the guy the other day. He's talking, I can't find cherry whiskey. And he said there was some at the, he was at, I'm not going to say the establishment he was buying and it was gone the next, uh, the next day he went in. So what we're learning here is if you see the cherry whiskey and you want it for the holiday season, grab it. And Brandon or Braden, sorry, get those mixed up all the time. Winyard, whatever. Um, (laughs) You can order them online. You can order the cherry whiskey online or go straight to the distillery. That's your best bet. Cheapest. And it's uh, right there. So the distillery in Lumsden, I know a lot of you aren't around Lumsden. So order it online. The Last Mountain Cherry Whiskey. Anything for the holiday season, you will not be disappointed. Get one of the special whiskeys while you're at it. Oh, man. So good. That's my go-to. Cherry cask whiskey. Love it. Or wine finished. Sorry, wine finished whiskey. Yeah, the wine finish is a special bottle of uh, goodness. So good. Last Mountain. They're local. Get into the interview. Pleasure to have uh, this guy on. Who's the interview sponsor this week? Yes, Revive Men's Health Clinic. If it's uh, you're having the problems with a little bit of ED, fellas, look them up. Revive Men's Health Clinic in Saskatoon and Regina. You can go through the treatments. There's no more pills, anything like that. And I know a lot of you out there have the problem. So go check it out. Tell them the Monday Nooner sent you. Uh, Revive Men's Health Clinic in Saskatoon and Regina. A few... Uh, few little procedures nothing they're not cutting you open or anything and then you're going to be uh, ready to rock when the missus wants to go on uh, new year's eve 2023 you ready to grab a last mountain in your arctic spa tub with mama and we go grab a last mountain and tune into this interview we're about to get to in the tub Stu grimson over 700 games in the national hockey league 729 was drafted twice by detroit and by calgary 39 career points we didn't get into much of these stats with them, but uh, 2,113 penalty minutes. I think he's around 40th all-time in NHL penalty minutes. He was one of the toughest to do it, fought all the other tough guys, and and uh, yeah, the Grim Reaper doesn't get that name for nothing. Here he is, Stu Grimson. Well, we've, we've got a guy on here we've been trying to track down for a while, a ton of requests for him. He's an analyst with the NHL Network. He's a uh, attorney by practice, and of course... Uh, He's an author as well. So, Stu Grimson, what do you do in your uh, spare time? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, spare time is kind of uh, a rare commodity around the Grimson household. I am uh, I keep pretty busy, actually. Uh, yes, I am an attorney. I work as in-house counsel for uh, a cool little travel uh, club down here in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville's home, kind of retired here uh, after I you know, wrapped it up from the game wound up my NHL career. So Nashville has continued to be home, but I kind of keep a connection to the hockey world as well. I am a uh, one of several analysts uh, that work on NHL Network. So I kind of split my time between, uh, we produce NHL Network out of Secaucus, New Jersey. So kind of half the month I'm up there, half the month I'm here in Nashville, but um, you know, not, not a lot of free time in between those, those two endeavors. 
Secaucus, that's where you take the train to get to MetLife, right? Don't you get off at Secaucus and then you, you hammer it to go to, to, to the football games yeah, at yeah, MetLife? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> um, right. You can jump out at Secaucus for sure. Yeah. What? Uh, why, why Nashville when you retired? You spent a lot of time on the West Coast. You played the, a few stints there. Why Nashville? Yeah. And, and actually, you know, grew up a BC boy. I'm, I'm originally born and kind of raised in, uh, in the BC, the Southern BC interior. So, you know, once I started kind of chasing pucks all over the, the continent, I, um, you know, I had a, an experience playing in the South with, with uh, it was the first year the, the Carolina hurricanes came into existence. Um, so that was kind of my family's first exposure to the South part of the United States. We loved it. People were great. Weather was wonderful. The cost of living was really attractive. So a little bit later in my career, right at the end, actually, um, I signed with the Nashville Predators. My kids were all, you know, kind of in the high school age, and we didn't want to be moving around a lot any longer as a family. So we kind of figured, hey, we're very fond of the South. This is an area where, you know, when your kids get a little older, they tend to stay closer, you know, when they live in the South. So for a lot of reasons, um, and chief among them, Nashville was my last NHL stop kind of on the circuit. It just, it made the most sense, you know, um, the Grimson caravan came to a, a screeching halt right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So you talk about growing up. In and in, you said you're born in Vancouver. Um, you know, where do you spend your youth and and your kind of formative years as far as starting hockey? Where where's that spent? Yeah, all over the uh, southern interior of British Columbia. My dad was a Mountie and for and and served as a Mountie for. He was 31 years in the force. And the reason I'm mentioning that, we bounced around a lot. Like, I don't think as a family we ever lived more than three years in any one place. We were picking up and relocating a lot. So my youth hockey stops kind of, I started the game in Osoyas, British Columbia, a great little border town. Um, Osoyas, Dawson Creek, Kamloops, Kelowna, um, yeah, before, and, and my parents, my family was living in Kamloops. When I left, um, when I left home to go play junior hockey as a member of the Regina Pats, eighty-two to eighty-five, so kind of all over the southern half of British Columbia was where my, you know, my minor hockey stops kind of came up growing up. How did you end up on the Regina Pats radar? When did that start, or how did that start? I feel like there's a good story here. Oh, there's there's a good story there. <laughs> um, so living in Kamloops, British Columbia, and playing my youth hockey, I think I was probably 15 or so years of age, so just around junior high-ish, and a bunch of my buddies are walking down the street. We've got our, we've got our Kamloops Sahali High. That was, our, that was our high school. So we're wearing our Sahali football jackets. We're walking down the street, and on the other side of the street, we used to call them, it's not the most endearing term. We used to call these guys rig pigs. They worked on the rigs outside of Kamloops. They came into town and they whooped and hollered all weekend long uh, before they went back out to the rigs. So a bunch of these rig pigs are walking down the other side of the street. And we we end up in front of me and my buddies and these, these guys that were walking the other side of the street. They were, you know, we're in our middle teens. They're in their early 20s. We end up on the same corner of the street my buddies and I are heading off to watch a, uh, we're going to go see a movie. So we're standing at the corner of Maine and some other street, Kamloops, British Columbia. 
we're going in to watch a movie and these guys start mouthing off at us. They're clearly, you know, got a few beers under their belts. And this one guy starts saying, Sahali sucks onions. Sahali sucks onions. I parted two of my buddies. I walked straight into the middle of their pile. I throttled this guy right in the face and popped out two teeth. It was on. The reason I'm telling you that story, the unbeknownst to me at the time, the head scout of the Regina Pats happened to be driving down Main Street <laughs> and sees this fight going on out in front of the the Kamloops, uh, you know, uh, main cinema. And he goes, that looks like the Grimson kid. I know that boy. Hey, he's actually pretty tough. He's fighting. He's taking on a big boy there. So um, all that to say, I got listed by the Regina Pats. We don't. We didn't have a draft back then, but I got listed by the Regina Pats. I came. I became part of their property, and I think it was maybe a year or maybe it was two years later. I'm not sure how that all lines up, but I ended up at my first Regina Pats camp in 1982. Who was the scout? Uh, the head scout was a guy by the name of Glenn Dirk. I think Dirk is, I mean, I know he's still around. I don't know that he's working for an NHL team anymore. Um, but you can, you know, you can appreciate that was a, that was a different era back then. Uh, but, but every word of that story true. So, so were you, were you a, were you a fighter amongst, you know, your peers and, and on the ice? I guess you're pretty young to be fighting on the ice, but were, were you a fighter or, you know, I, I always, I grew up, I was a pretty restless, reckless kid. I mean, I'll, I'll just be flat out straight with you. So it's not like I really, you know, enjoyed fighting or, or I just, for whatever reason, I just, I used to get into scrapes all the time. I was big. I was aggressive. I love the fact that my buddies would be telling stories about me Monday morning after this wild weekend that we had. So, you know, I, that's the best answer to that question I can give you. Was I a fighter? I don't know. Um, I, I guess I kind of gravitated to that role as as time wore on over the course of my career. Where, what were you like as a hockey player before the Regina Pats uh, endeavor? You know, I was I was pretty good growing up. Like I would say through, you know, uh, my early early like Adam and Pee Wee years, age of six and seven. Yeah, I was probably above average just in terms of the skill level. Um, and then going away to play junior, you know, I think uh, my skills kind of evolved and improved over time. I had, you know, 50 some points my final year of junior, scored 25 goals that year. Uh, I played a couple of years of college hockey at the University of Manitoba. Oh, we're we're going to get into that. Before. We're going to get into that in a bit. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, my point in saying that was I was I think it was my first year there or maybe my second. I was a point to game player for for the Bisons out in, uh, at the University of Manitoba. But um, I was a pretty good player. Um, you know, I could kind of handle myself in in a lot of ways, not embarrass myself. So. Um, yeah, that was, I guess that's probably the best summation of what I look like as a, as a, as a youth player, an amateur player. So we mentioned we're all based here in Regina. Obviously, if you go in the brand center, uh, Dale Durkatch has got a banner there. Greatest Regina pad of all time for, for a guy who's never seen him play live. What was, what was he like as a junior hockey player? Oh, he was, he was fabulous. He was really dynamic. Um, you know, undersized for the game at that time, it was, you know, it was, you really had to be skilled. You really had to be competitive and you really had to be able to look after yourself too. If, you know, if you were a smaller guy playing in that era, 
but Dale was, he was very, very gifted. He, you know, he had this lightning release, um, took him no time to get it off. It was incredibly accurate. And I mean, he used to, it was fun. He used to just pick teams apart. He was just really, really skilled and, and a great leader too. Uh, Dewey had this, this big, um, you know, really energetic personality and the enthusiasm just kind of rubbed off on all of us. No question about it. Another guy you played with that talks so highly of you. Uh, he used the word love. Like, I love this guy. Kurt Wickenheiser. Um, oh, I love you know, the guy. St- still around time. Yeah, he he's he invented our catchphrase on the podcast. Why wouldn't a guy? Um, you know, Wick, there's another guy. And there's a lot of guys on those Regina Pat teams that, that have the ties to Regina. Like, it was pretty special back then. Yeah, it was. It was. There are a lot of guys that, you know, were were very, very skilled, went on to have great NHL careers. Um, Kurt was a fabulous junior, really talented junior. Um, you know, he and Nevin Marquardt used to play together a lot. They were a very fearsome twosome together. They were a lot to handle. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guys, the guys that you play with over time, um, Brent Fedick was a line mate the year I got 25 goals. Lenny Nielsen played down the middle for us. Um, you know, gosh, guys that went on to have decent careers. Todd Lombard was a great, great player. Lyndon Byers was a very high draft choice to the Boston Bruins back in the day. So Gary Lehman is is another guy that he and I overlapped for the first, my first year of junior, went on to have a, a really solid NHL career. But yeah, I mean, Regina always has been and, and continues to be today um, you know, very much a, a hockey factory, putting out, uh, developing young guys at uh, at a very high level. But just, you got any stories about what the WHL was like back then? Obviously, it's a much different game than it is today. But any any memories or any one story that comes to mind? Maybe going into one of these barns on a corrals in the stands. That you got to talk about <laughs> that one, right? That's, that's a classic. About which brawls in the stands? Yeah, wasn't there one yeah, in the Dome? Yeah, there was, uh, I, I don't know that, well, we had a big brawl in, in the Agrodome. That was, that was a crazy night. And that one lives on in, in infamy that was back in, I think, 83-ish, maybe, I don't think it was 83, 84, but I think it was 82, 83. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a situation where the prior period ended early. Something happened with the ice. And so part of the, the prior period got tacked on to, I think it was the second, maybe the third period. And for that reason, the Brandon Wheat Kings led by Ron Hextall came out of the end zone that the Pats, me and my Pat teammates were warming up and Hexy comes out, he's waving this stick around and he's hooping and he's hollering. And a bunch of guys came together at center ice and out of nowhere, Hextall swings his stick. It comes down on, I think Bobby Lowe's, um, one of our one of our leaders, uh, one of our players back then. And of course, that just brought a crush of guys. Myself, Lyndon Byers. It was, you know, it was just on. I think it took 45 minutes to eventually mop that one up to slow that one down. We ended up playing the game. I think the Pats won that game, but I <laughs> can't remember. I think I got six games suspended for six games or so for that one because I ended up 
I'll tell you this one, one quick follow-up story to it. I've been actually in like three different fights. I'm in the penalty box at one point. I'm leaning forward. I'm looking over, kind of surveying what's happened on the ice, leaning over the bench, the, the boards of the penalty box. Brad Wells, sorry. Yeah, Brad Wells, soon to be, you know, Pat's teammate, comes lurking down the sidewall, kind of out of my peripheral vision, and he clocks me so hard. I mean, honestly, I thought I got hit by the 7 p.m. bus coming down Albert Street, Regina. He hit me so hard. Well, of course, it's on again. As soon as I can clear my head, pile over the boards, back into the fray. I'm into like my fourth fight of the night, and I think I got six games for that altogether. I was out for a long, long time. Try and explain that one to your mom guys <laughs> <laughs> and then Durkatch uh, remembers that Les Jackson GM of Brandon came down from the press box and like drags Bob low underneath the stands and then there's you know there Bob Strum sorry Bob they're going Strum, at it right. underneath there yeah yeah it was it was funny watching that one like the the managers are going at it it got so <laughs> crazy goofy and I mentioned we watched that we watched the brawl of that tape um we watched that on a loop on VHS in the dressing room. We watched that on a loop for like four days after. And Strummer would sit there and he'd watch that with us too. Of course, it, it comes with this overhead shot. Jackson gets a hold of Strummy, rips his sport coat off. <laughs> and Strummer, Strummer, I always remember Strummer's first inclination was he's not PO'd because, you know, this GM comes to attack him or anything like that. Strummer's biggest beef was, gosh, that's a terrible camera angle. You can really see the bald patch in the back of my head there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? What? No better camera angle than that? <laughs> oh. oh, that's classic. So um, these, these guys might want to go a little bit more into your Regina Pats uh, days, but I was I was sitting in a, in a hockey uh Hockey parents hotel room this past weekend, and uh, a guy you played against, Troy Edwards, played for uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. We're yeah. talking, and uh, and then you know a couple other guys, and I said, yeah. And then he went from the Pats to the University of Manitoba, and and everyone's kind of dumbfounded. So take us through the thought process there, Stu, and what happens after yeah. that eighty four eighty five year, and then you spend two years playing for the University of Manitoba. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's a good question and you're exactly right to characterize it that way too, because it's, it's, it's a very unconventional route for someone to ultimately end up in the NHL. I realized that at the time, but frankly, you know, I struggled with and, and trying to appreciate, appreciate my junior development was, um, you know, not playing much my first year expected to fight. So, you know, you're on the bench for much of the game, you know, you got to manufacture the adrenaline to come out there to, to to go lock horns with somebody else on the other side. And you feel like you're being used like a piece of meat. And it was really it was hard. It was hard to do that as a young boy experience over time. I got better at that as my game, as as my character evolved. But, you know, I gradually got to a place where by my third year of junior. Yes, I'm still contributing in a physical way. I'm getting in my share of scrapes. But but I'm playing a lot as well. And, you know, it's it's much easier to kind of play that, provide that role when you get to be a, you know, a part of the broader the, you know, the broader group at the same time. So my point in saying that, you guys, is I, I was kind of like, you know, at the end of my third year of junior, I had been drafted by the Calgary Flames at that point. And I'm looking at the whole prospect of turning pro going, I really hate this role. 
you know, I don't know that I want to go through that all over again. And I figured, you know what, I'm just going to park it for now. Um, I got a buddy, Bob Lowe's, who's playing at the University of Manitoba. He says uh, he's talked with his coach. They got a spot for me. And I ended up playing two years there where I didn't really have to worry about all the, you know, enforcer type stuff. I could just focus on my game. And I think spending those two years at the University of Manitoba, who, by the way, I ended up having, uh, you know, a great experience under, may he rest in peace, Wayne Fleming was my coach then. Great, great hockey man. Um, learned a lot from him about the game. And I think in the process, I kind of grew up a little bit too. And I finally got to a place after two years at the University of Manitoba where I'm saying, you know what? I need to see how far I can go. I need to see if it's in the cards for me to play at the NHL level. And soon after that, I signed a contract with the Flames and and I turned pro in 87, 88, I think was my first year. You're one of those double draft guys, right? Like you went, am, uh, yeah. yeah, you went 83 and then 85. Did you go to the camps? Like when you're taking 83 by Detroit, 186 overall, do you, do you go to the camps and are, you know, are you expected to play that role that you talked about with the Regina Pats and, and then again, uh, going to camp with Calgary? A player so nice. They thought they draft them twice. <laughs> I am one of those rare guys. Uh, it was kind of a unique thing. The answer to your question, the short, the pointed answer to your question is, I did not go to uh, Detroit's camp my first year. Um, they kind of did a limited camp that year. And if you guys recall, your 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 listeners would probably appreciate, back then, it was 12 rounds. It, it wasn't the abbreviated I think six or seven rounds that we have today, it was 12 rounds. So you had a lot more kind of prospects in your pipeline and teams didn't always take everybody that was kind of their property to camp. I was one of those guys. So I never went to camp. And the reason I actually went back into the draft, Detroit, after they took me in 83, decided not to offer me a contract. So I became a free agent, went back in the draft. Calgary took me in 85. Talk about uh, signing your first NHL contract. Like, obviously, a pretty special moment, uh, I'm sure, for your family to put ink to paper with your first NHL contract after everything you'd been through. Yeah, it was. It really was um, a special moment because it takes, you know, it, it takes a lot. It takes some skill. It takes a lot of determination. It takes a little bit of luck. And it certainly takes um, a supportive set of parents. And I sure had that growing up. Um, my parents were, were always there to support me, uh, you know, in a variety of, of different ways, you know, living some 1200 miles away in, in Regina, Saskatchewan, when you're a BC kid and you've never lived alone before, that's, you know, that's a pretty big step for, for anybody to take. So my parents were there to kind of help shepherd me through that and, um, not without some, some hitches in the road along the way, but it, um, it it was a wonderful, a really, you know, a really, I think, impactful moment for my family when my folks kind of figured out this kid could actually make a living for himself playing hockey. <laughs> what, what does Calgary think when you tell them you're going to go play at the University of Manitoba? I told the general manager, Cliff Fletcher, uh, hey, Cliff, I really appreciate the opportunity to come play, uh, you know, to turn pro with Calgary. I was not under contract at my first training camp at Calgary in 1985. 
But to your to your question, his head about spun around on his shoulders when I said, I, I, "I'm sorry, I just I'm this ain't, this is it's not for me, not at this moment in time. I'm I'm going back to school." Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. They stuck with you, right? They must have watched you quite a bit, and they're... they did. They stuck with me. They watched me. Um, you know, the interesting part about it is, and this is still true that today. Uh, because I was their draft choice, but because I was playing amateur hockey at the college level, they didn't have to go through that process where they tendered or offered me a contract. Yeah. I remained their property um, simply because I was a college player. So it left them in actually a pretty luxurious situation too, right? They got to maintain their rights to me for a longer stretch of time. And then, you know, fast forward another two years to 87 um the flames and i ultimately came to a, a spot where you know i was going to turn pro for them so yeah so i want to ask about that i guess coming from university and then turning pro and the differences and the uh the adjustment to the game was what was that like back then um you know i think i think the way and, and i think it's a it's a good question especially when you think about you know, Canadian collegiate hockey back then, and I don't have a good feel for the way it is today, but we always heard that, and this may have been true, it was certainly different, maybe not as competitive as, say, NCAA D1 hockey down in the U.S. But honestly, like the two years I spent under Wayne Fleming at the University of Manitoba, I really feel I came away um, as equipped, as ready, developmentally to step into the pro game the and back then it was the ihl the international hockey league that's where calgary had their farm team that's where i started my pro career um i was i was in a really good spot um developmentally to to take down you know a good amount of ice time i got injured my first year but just to give you a sense of it i played 36 games that year i had nine goals nine assists by the midway point, you know, for 18 points in like 36 games, pretty good for a guy that was providing that heavyweight role, but I was on a pace to make, to, to score 20 goals that year, um, you know, right coming right out of Canadian college. So again, uh, I make the point developmentally, I was, I was in a pretty good spot. Um, amusing anecdote while we're on the topic, I played 36 games that year. I had nine goals. I had nine assists for 18 points. I had 268 penalty minutes in six games. <laughs> yes, you did. I I was on pace for 500 plus penalty minutes that year. Like I had two dance partners every night in the IHL. It was goofy. It was goofy. You you get one game with Calgary in 1988-89. Obviously, his memory serves. They had a pretty good hockey team that year. But uh, just talk about that call up, getting that one game, and and what that was like to finally get called up to the show. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was incredible. I mean, I was I was numb. I, I really was. But the the difficulty about you know when you turn pro, um, you know everybody's in a different situation, right? And timing is everything. I think is the best way to really describe the point I'm about to make because Calgary were in the throes of this was the run up to them them winning a cup in 1989, and they had big talented teams. You remember guys like you know, Jim Poplinski and Joel Otto and Joe Neuendijk and Gary Robertson, all those guys, they really had a big, very talented team. 
Uh, and there just, you know, there wasn't a ton of space for me. So I kind of got buried in the minors. I was with the Flames organization for, for three years. And I only played a handful of games over those three years, it, largely because they were just so deep in guys that looked like and played, you know, a, a skilled brand of hockey. Who did you fight? And you played the one game at your five minutes. Obviously, that was a, a fight. First game, who did you go against? Kevin McGuire. Kevin McGuire. My first NHL fight ever. Yeah. Um, Kevin was a, a good guy, uh, like a, a good a respected fighter, not a big guy, but, you know, kind of tangled with all the heavyweights. I might uh, characterize that as a draw. You know, I don't think that anybody really dominated anybody. But, you know, for for a guy getting his first NHL action, it was just kind of good to go out to get into a scrape and and kind of get that you know, get that part of it out of the way under your belt, so to speak. So I'm, I'll remember that one for forever. Kevin McGuire, my first year. In late 90, uh, you know, Chicago claims you and you end up in the Blackhawks uh, organization. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, in the 91-92 season, you score your first NHL goal. Take us through that. Yeah, it was actually against Calgary. It was against Oh, Calgary. wow. Yeah, yeah. So Calgary happened to be visiting in Chicago. It's actually a really uh, emotional story at the same time. I um, were playing Calgary, hosting them at home. It's October of 91. And um, I can't remember the, the day of the week, the night of the week, but we're playing Calgary at home. My wife had just gone in. My ex-wife had just gone into uh, the hospital. She was going to be bringing our first into the world. And um, I think she gave birth the day before that game. So she was still in the hospital the night of that game. But I got the, I got the puck and I, you know, I was able to kind of commemorate the whole first goal experience with my first was born uh, around that time. And, I believe she still has that puck. My my first is she's into her thirties now. If that doesn't date the old man, but, uh, <laughs> who was it against? Who was the goal against? Uh, Mike Vernon. Oh, shot from the point. I can't remember who shot it. Might have been Steve Conroy, if I recall. And then I was cruising through the slot. Um, rebound dropped right in front of me, and I just kind of tucked it through Vernie's uh, through Vernie's legs. So, um, it was, that was a, that was a fun one to get. It was a fun one to get for sure. Tell our listeners about, uh, the rivalry you had with Dave Brown. How many times did you guys fight? Oh, Brownie and I probably fought, uh, I would say a handful of times, maybe four or five times. Didn't I'll you fight you like three times in one game or something like that? Twice, twice. It was, this was the first, uh, this is kind of my welcome to the NHL moment. It was 89, I think. And back then, like Brownie was the meanest, baddest, you know, man on the planet. He he had a left hand that hit like a thunderbolt, uh, like a lightning bolt. And I knew if I was going to be, if I was going to stick around the NHL, if I was going to make the Calgary Flames, Brownie's playing for the Edmonton Oilers. And I knew the path to the NHL was right through Dave Brown. So first, uh, first shift of the game for he and I, we lined up at the, I uh, was kind of at an offside dot, I think favoring the Calgary end. I, the puck dropped, I gave him a shot in the chest. He drops his gloves. There's like three left hands cut the air above my head. And I'm like, I got to get busy or this guy's going to dominate me. <laughs> and I grabbed his left sleeve. I tugged down with my left and I caught him flush on the button twice and I laid him out. 
And it was like, I got back to the bench after I served my minor, Theron Fleury, Theron Fleury sitting beside me on the bench. He goes, do you know a good real estate agent in Calgary? You might want to consider buying a house. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, relieved that this is over. However, um, I think it was, uh, who's the writer that said it was both, Charles Dickens, I think, said it was both the best of times and the worst <laughs> of times, right? Because you didn't get the best of Dave Brown and he didn't come circling back. Uh, like a shark in the water. Fast forward to two nights later, we're playing the back end of a back-to-back -back with the Oilers. It didn't go as well for me on that night. Brownie scuffed me up pretty good. Scuffed me up so bad, actually, that he broke my orbital, broke a cheekbone in my face. I had to have reconstructive surgery, and I was out of commission for about five days. So that was a, that was a hard start to my NHL career, but I did manage to forge a 14-year you know, career out of all that mess. Chicago days, what story when people ask you, or do you remember so much about back then and Mike Keenan? Oh gosh. Keenan was Keenan was a taskmaster. He was, you know, in an era of you know, today, today it's a lot of, you know, you coach by consensus. And we would have characterized that as maybe a player's coach back then. But, you know, your players are your colleagues today. They're they're people that, you know, you um, you get their input on on how the team plays the game to some degree. That wasn't true of our era. So the point I'm making is tough coach in a tough era. Like Keenan might have been, you know, um, the prickliest of all of all coaches. Um, it's one way to put it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. So we're we're playing in Minnesota one night. It's in the it's in the playoffs, first round of the playoffs. Minnesota, we're the number we have won the president's trophy that year. Minnesota was like the eighth seed or the I think the eighth seed on the West in the Western Conference. So we're not we're not supposed to have any trouble with Minnesota. But lo and behold, uh they've they've got us in a series. We just lost the game. I think they go up 2-1 or 3-1 in the series or something like that. And um, Keenan, we're, we're just about to get on the bus. Keenan calls us into the coach's room in the, in the Minnesota, in the Minnesota, in the Met Center in, in Minnesota. And he cat he had caught me and, uh, my teammate, Dave Manson. We're saying goodbye to some of the folks that we knew on the other side. Like Brian Glenn was a friend of ours. We knew his wife, Cindy Glenn. So we're saying goodbye to Cindy before we jump on the bus. Well, Keenan sees this, he gets livid because, you know, like we're indifferent to this whole situation all of a sudden because he's thinking we don't care. He calls us into the room. The The gist of the story is he starts, like he starts in with Dave Manson. We used to call him Charlie back then for good reason. <laughs> he starts in with Dave Manson. Charlie, you don't care. Charlie, you're not playing up to your standards. Charlie, you're not this, Charlie, you're Dave Manson's eyes rolled back in his head. He dropped, he had a he had a soft piece of luggage and a suit bag in his hand. He drops his luggage. He starts heading for Keenan across the other side of the room. I'm like, I'm like standing there, like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? So I get between Dave and Keenan. And as soon as Keenan sees Dave going at him like this, like he just reverses course and he, you know, he grabs Charlie. He's trying to hug him. He's trying to, you know, settle the big man down. And so fast forward, all the guys are out 
getting on the bus, getting ready to leave Minnesota, head back to Chicago to, you know, play the next game of the series. But they all know that Keenan called me and Dave into, into the coach's office. So they're going, what the hell happened? What's going on? Because they can see Manson's doing laps around the bus. He's so screwed <laughs> up, right? And I, I go to these guys. I go, uh, well, you're not going to believe it, but Charlie just about, you know, tore Keenan limb from limb like he went oh. off. And he said, well, what happened? Like, how? who stopped him? I said, well, I got in the way. Like I, and they, To a man, they all go, what the hell did you do that for? <laughs> what? Why would you get in the way of that? <laughs> I like yeah. to think I like I like to think I kept Manson from committing career suicide. Yeah, <laughs> tell you, like I had a lot of pissed off buddies, a lot of pissed off teammates. Um, oh, that's awesome. Um, haven't asked this question in a while to to our guests, but I got to think that you would ask some. When you think back, a story of maybe it's you. Or maybe it's one of your teammates. Craziest story of, of someone skipping curfew or playing absolutely guilty. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs> I I kept my nose pretty clean for the most part. Come on, so Stu. I don't I don't I don't I don't have especially when I played pro. I mean, I knew my skills were such that, you know, if I wasn't ready to go each and every night, um, like playing guilty just wasn't an option for me. Um but guys that played guilty, I mean, without naming names, you know, there were there were guys along the way that you could tell they, you know, they were feeling it. They were feeling <laughs> it uh, the next day, and they uh, they found a way to to dust off their A game and to bring it out because you know to play any other way was just wasn't wasn't an option. You were gonna get you were gonna get called out. Um, but there were some guys along the way that had mastered the art of of playing guilty for sure. Why do I feel like Chris Chelios would have been an awesome teammate to have on the road? Um, yeah, he's he's an interesting cat. Let me tell you this. He, he, so he's good buddies with Gary Suter. They both played at the University of Wisconsin. They yep. were Badgers together. And um, whenever these two guys would end up in the same town, they'd always be out howling at the moon late the night before a game but they inevitably it would end up they they get into a fist fight with each other <laughs> they just get all bent out of shape and they end up fighting each other so i'm rooming with kelly kelly i think we're on the road we're either in san jose or maybe calgary or something but he's been out all night with Suter, and he comes staggering back to the bedroom wakes me up in the process like four buttons are ripped on his dress shirt. Like the shirt is like twisted sideways. The seam is torn at the back. He's got like dirt marks, dirt patches on his knees. Like he's just been brawling all night, but brawling his ex-teammate, Gary Suter. These guys used to just destroy each other. Uh, that's you, you kind of alluded, uh, alluded to the fact that maybe you didn't really enjoy your job as an enforcer in the national hockey league, what was it like, you know, like, was it a struggle for you? If, if say, you know, tomorrow night you're going to be playing Detroit and you got to fight Probert or whoever it was like, did yeah. a lot of anxiety come with that? Yeah. You know, it, it, it sure did. I will tell you this, you know, just kind of the, the simplest explanation. I got better at that as time wore on. I think as you get a little older, you get a little more mature, a little more experienced managing that role becomes easier when you're 29 versus when you're 18 
or 19. And that was certainly true of me. But yeah, there were, you know, there were a lot of um, afternoons and nights before where, you know, the anxiety would would occupy more space in your head than than you really wanted to let it. But it's a it's a hard role to play. I would never liken it to military combat. You know, the the amazing selfless um, sacrifice that our men and women of the service, um, you know, lay down for us on a daily basis. By no means is this comparison. But I will say preparing to do hand to hand combat with guys that, you know, can crush human bone with their fists. Um guys my size and in some cases bigger, especially towards the end of my career. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot. It, it weighs on you. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy role to perform. Who did you have to prepare the most for? Do you feel? Um, Brownie was a handful Brownie for sure. Cause you knew if you didn't manage that left hand, you knew that Brownie could, could tear you apart. So Brownie was a lot. Um, Proby was a lot to deal with too. And Proby's a guy I fought Rob Probert, and this is true of him also. I mean, I think we fought 14 times over the course of our career. We're on both sides of the great Chicago slash Detroit rivalry and, you know, and kind of flipped jerseys midway through our our careers. So Proby and I used to tangle all the time. He was always a handful. What do you remember about your last uh, last time you had a conversation with Bob? Oh, good question. Um Proby and I, and this is where I got to know him pretty well after our careers were over, um, around the time that he and I were, we were maybe two years, three years removed from the game or so, um, you might remember the, the, there was an international coalition, including the Canadian Armed Forces, that were overseas in Afghanistan, kind of fighting that whole, that battle against the, I guess, Taliban initially, then Al-Qaeda. Um but once a year, the Canadian Armed Forces would kind of send this goodwill tour of guys, ex-players like myself, like Proby, uh, as as long as well as a, a musician, a group of musicians. So one year we went over me, Proby, Chris Nyland was with us. They loved the tough guys, the Canadian men and women who who uh, who served on our behalf. They loved the tough guys. So Proby and I got to know each other really well doing that one week tour, kind of that goodwill tour to the Canadian Armed Forces back. I want to say it was like 2005 or six or somewhere like that. I might be off by a year or two. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, a terrific memory. Um, but really got to know Proby well. And the one, you know, lasting memory I have of all that, the the young servicemen and women, they were lined up around the barracks to see Proby. They just, they, they just, they were so enamored with him. They were so, I, I guess they just related to the way that he played. And uh, it was a really cool connection. I don't, uh, yeah. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Guy. I, I got, I got a, a real sideways one here. Not, not through your career, but you're, you're an intelligent guy. Anyone that's ever heard you talk. Amazing. How intelligent is Gary Bettman? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think Gary Bettman is a very sage guy. I think he, um, you know, accepting that he was hired by the owners at, um, you know, 
we're probably looking back three decades now yep. or so uh, by the owners to to fulfill a very specific objective. And that was to implement a salary cap some way, somehow, or a mechanism like it so that, you know, we could kind of create parity within the game and grow the game. Um, I, I think, you know, his longevity and the fact that he remains in that position even today and the game is where it is today uh, speaks to the fact that Gary's very capable. Gary's a very good communicator. Um, you know, he had a plan. He executed that plan exceptionally well. And I will say this too, maybe just as a second part answer to your question, and Gary would be quick to say this also, um, he had a great partner in Bill Daly. I would put Bill Daly, you know, given that he's kind of the, you know, Gary's lieutenant or deputy commissioner is his official title. Also a very um, skilled uh, intelligent guy uh, who who Gary Bettman would you know would credit with with a lot of the success that the league the game enjoys today. Right on. Should we get into a rapid fire? Yeah, we'll yeah. end it. Wrap it up yeah. with some quick ones, Stu. We let appreciate. Her, let uh, her fly, boys. Let her fly. Let's see All how right. quick you can be on some of these. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up Stu with our with our my staple question. On the road, what was your favorite barn, like road barn to play in or even road city to be in? Yeah, I love going back into like a lot of the old barns that I played. I got to go back into Chicago Stadium um, after I left there. That was a lot of fun. It's such a it for anybody that's ever seen it. Chicago Stadium was one of a kind. It was easily the most electric atmosphere in all of pro hockey. And I just I love playing in that dirty drafty old barn it's the best bar for a tourist to go to in nashville oh that's a good one that's a good one um skulls rainbow room down on um i think it's called poets alley right downtown skulls rainbow room really cool spot pretty good uh pretty good food but a great really mm, i would say kind of off the radar under the radar um spot for a cool drink in nashville for sure most skilled player nhl all your years that you were just in awe of oh played with or against both yeah uh i would have to say gretz for sure um do you know igor larianov can i just tell a super quick igor yeah larianov? absolutely yeah. yeah because the two players are kind of connected in 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 this way if you'll allow me that i'm playing in detroit um, Igor Larionov is one of five Russian hockey players we have on our on our team. The professor Somebody had created this Russian, this Fab Five. These guys all played together. So Igor's got the puck in our zone. We're playing the Edmonton Oilers. He's carrying the puck through neutral ice. He's got the puck on his stick. Gets to about middle ice, and then all of a sudden he stops. Leaves the puck in the middle of the play. Leaves the puck. Skates towards the ref, and he points at their bench and he goes, "They've got too many men on the ice." <laughs> Wow. I've never seen any, I've never seen anything like it. Like there's 20,000 people in the Joe Lewis arena at that time. There's, you know, 15 players on both benches. I didn't see it. And I made, I made it my job to see it when the other side had too many men on the ice. Cause I could, I kind of had that time. I'm on the bench a lot, <laughs> but the guy, the least likely guy to spot too many men spotted it. It was Igor Lariano. And he was right. 
The referee counted the noses. They've got six skaters. Edmonton got a penalty. So I looked to Paul Coffey, like the vision, you guys. I mean, I had a pretty good command of the three or four feet in front of me if I had the puck, <laughs> but that was it. That was it. Igor sees the whole ice from the press box level when he's out there. I turned to Paul Coffey, who was sitting on the bench beside me. I said, Coff, have you ever seen anything like that? And he kind of shrugged and he smirked. He said, yeah, I saw Gretz do that a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool like, story. Honestly, it, I, never in my lifetime have I seen any player at any level call too many men on the ice when you've got the puck on your stick. Cool story. Unreal. That's Great an awesome answer. one. When you uh, when you come back to Canada, and we know you, like we talked about, you, you speak up here quite a bit. What's the one thing you have to have, whether it's a food or a beverage? What's the one thing you got to have when you get back to Canada? Oh, I like a good Rickards Red. I like a uh, I like a Molson Canadian from time to time. But um, yeah, lots of good beers up north of the border. But I tell, I love coming back. You know, we were talking before we came on air. I think about an event I did in Lampman, Saskatchewan, good Sasky town. <laughs> 600 people live in the town of Lampman, Saskatchewan. I come up there to do, it's just like a, you know, it's a fundraiser. They're raising money to buy new boards for the rink, I believe was the event, or an ice plant, an ice plant for the local rink. 600 people in this town, would you believe 300 of them show up at this event? Like imagine getting half the town to come out for anything, but they'll sit there they have the best time. They drink a lot, <laughs> but they'll listen to all these stories all night long. They absolutely love it. And I just, I, it's, it's one of the things about, you know, post career that I really treasure. It's fun to be able to connect with folks and be at different events like this, especially when, you know, there, there's a good cause that benefits it from it at the end of the day. I know you're not from Saskatchewan. I know you do have some family in Sask, but if someone, were to, someone down in Nashville were to ask you about Saskatchewan, how do you quickly sum it up to them? I'd say, uh, you know, it's it's the part of Canada where you can see the province from top to bottom. I'm sure from <laughs> the border of the U.S.-Canada, sorry, the, yeah, the, the Saskia-U.S. border, you can just about see the territories from there. It's so flat. Um, you know, I was a B.C. boy, growing up so leaving home to go play uh you know to go pray out in the middle of the frozen tundra my junior hockey i mean for one it's a great great junior town but it's a really different atmosphere um one that i think really helps to feed the fever the hunger for and the interest in the game um it's played out in the prairies it's followed out in the prairies with a different level of interest. And that's why I always enjoyed, have always enjoyed my connection to the prairies. Back to a couple of quick rapid ones here. Uh, music based favorite concert of all time. Ooh. Uh, Springsteen Hamilton, Ontario, because I got to see it with my son when he was about 11 years of age. Um, and it's still it's still a great memory for him and for me today. Hamilton, Ontario, that would have been like 2005 or so, I think. That your favorite warm-up song, one that when you still hear it, it gets the juices going. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, Promised Land, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce oh, Springsteen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Hey, Stu. Thanks. Thanks so, so much. much. Man. So good. Yeah. Hey, my my uh, pleasure to be a part of this. You got a good group here. And again, you know, anytime I can 
can kind of come back and connect, we reconnect with my Saski roots. I'm glad to do that. Interview wrap up 2020 Geo Maddox. Talked to Malcolm the other day, was uh, looking for Colin from Talbot Marketing's information. Said he's getting wow. some 2020 Geomatics merch. I told him we do a little swaparoo maybe for some of our new Nooner merchandise, but really appreciate uh, Comer coming back on as a sponsor. Land surveying subdivision, chopping up land, talk to the local Saskatchewan guys, 2020 Geomatics. I, th- I think 2020 is growing their market share. As well, a lot of the small town folks they want to deal with small town people. Yeah, have, a, have that cup of coffee, discuss it. That's what 2020 Geomatics is. There's not going to be some guys showing up in a sport coat and jeans and rolling in in his Tesla. These are these are the guys you want to talk to and girls. They're uh, the small town, and that's where Malcolm comes in. You know, you go to these small town. They want to sit, have a. They want to talk for a long time. Malcolm's your guy. He'd like he's the haircut, dentist he, guy. He's, fit for it right like he's the guy he couldn't he that's right he could not be a haircut guy he could not be a dentist to be honest i don't think seeing him he'd spend a lot of time in a hairdresser chair like it'd be a quick (laughs) two minutes he's out buzz he's the only bald guy that has 45 minute hairdressing conversations (laughs) (laughs) oh he's a weapon go see him call him he needs some land chopped up we love yeah. you, Malcolm. We love you, Malcolm. Dude, I like boys. I I gotta say, I love that interview. Though that was such an easy interview. I was like, sometimes in our interviews, I I I kind of lose. I was like zoned into this one. I love everything he said. He was so articulate the way he spoke, and uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And you can you can tell the sincerity in his voice when he you know, he had a good time. We we he gets asked a lot of questions. He does a lot of speaking engagements. You know, we kind of took him down some, some paths that he doesn't usually go down. Great guy all around. And if you ever get a chance to see him speak at one of these events in the province, I'm telling you it's worth, uh, worth, worth the price for admission right there. I love the story about how he got picked up by the Pats, beating the shit out of some rig pig outside the (laughs) movie theater. Like you can't make that up. That is just too good. And obviously led to an awesome career and now a career in media and like, for an enforcer in the NHL to take it upon himself to become a practicing attorney. Like that's pretty impressive, pretty impressive resume. And the scout that Dirks that uh, scouted him, he's actually been involved with the, he's still involved with the New Jersey devils. He's been involved with them for the past 20 years. So I looked that up and uh, pretty cool. Stat guy, stat Stat guy guy. belts. There you go. Really appreciated that interview. Hope everybody enjoyed it. What else belts? You said you had something for the, uh, high-tech segment this week high-tech profile yeah the tirade collectible winter wheat growing uh mooster point segment yeah devito brought to you by high-tech we love high-tech talked about uh talked about them already trent myers and the guys and gals over there anything you need made steel processors that i think they have a place up in saskatoon and regina they're always growing yeah if you're a manufacturer in construction or fabrication Call High Tech for manufactured steel products. And if you're a farmer out there and you need something done with steel, he gets he gets a lot of farmers, a lot of producers, uh, ranchers. They come in and they have this idea. Hey, can I get this done? Sometimes they can't, you know, get it done or they'll, they'll source it out. But anything done with metal or steel, they're going to be able to help you at High Tech. And Belter, what else do they do? What? Oh, they make fire pits. Unbelievable <laughs> fire pits. I'm getting a couple for the lake uh, this summer. Uh, yeah. Just that, I had to throw that in there. Listen, so DeVito style. I haven't talked about DeVito. It's been really quiet on the DeVito front. Haven't really seen them kind of in and out. And then she oh. waddles out the other day. I swear to God, she put on another 100 pounds. But she 
so we had this thing last winter where in front of the houses, like Barney said, you don't want to push on the street. So we have that little, you know, you got that four foot, eight foot place in between each houses there. So we would push our snow. That would kind of where it would sit. So you could get <clears throat> from your, uh, in front of your street there. So you get on and off your driveway. So we all pushed it right there. Well, apparently this year we're not doing that according to them because I pushed it there. They came and pushed it all back <laughs> like back onto my side. So they're really passive aggressive. So they have cameras, they watch me do this. And then when I go inside, I don't have cameras. I'm inside freaking having a blast mountain whiskey or a G dub brewski. They did this. So I, t- I took the old, uh, took the old snowblower, which Barney doesn't have. And I, Quad guy. and I blew her back over there. The, the whole kit and caboodle this time. So DeVito came waddling out, screaming at me or ass hanging out, freaking just giving it to me. And I just, uh, I ignore her now because every time I say anything to her, she calls the cops on me. So had a little DeVito sighting for the fellas. She's back in action. She's mad as ever. And uh, you never know, could get buzzing again this winter. While you're on the topic of uh, your real life problems any settlement on the uh, boat dock because we just had a lawyer on that would have been a good small I should have asked him yeah no the the that got settled uh this summer yeah out of NDA, court a and the out of court out of court settlement so that's all done boat dock solved the veto still in action right on senior right on. hockey senior hockey talk if you missed the player of the week for richie brothers auctioneers huge auction coming up let's see Next week in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, live. Brandon's going to be there. Live show. Monday nooner lanyards are going to be flying off the shelf. Everything. Uh, They sponsor the player of the week when it comes to senior hockey. Last Mountain Distillery bought the tarps. They're beautiful. Big senior hockey guy tarps. We got those all over the province now. Senior hockey soiree time. We could do a live show there because Richie Brothers does happen to have a lot of ex-weapons in the hockey world, that would be a, that could have been a live show. I don't think we'll be able to get it together in time, but uh, next time, yeah, senior hockey. So I want to readdress, I guess, what we brought up on the last show with the Edmonton Oilers scout, alleged Edmonton Oilers scout. Allegedly, I just want to preface by saying, when we said it was an NHL scout, that doesn't necessarily mean we think the guy is going to get scouted to play in the NHL, right? Like, <laughs> that's what I said. I said maybe it's the Turkish. Elite well, yeah, league. no, like it could be the American League or the East. Like, just because it's a scout that works for the Oilers doesn't mean we're saying he's going to play on McDavid's line just because of some messages. Maybe it's a buddy of Habby's and they're feeding somebody over to Austria. Never know. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of leagues over there where a guy can do quite well. But just wanted to clear that up. Like I said earlier, I said it's Meechin. I think it's Mitchin. My, Mitchin? Mitchin. No, I said, yeah, I screwed it up. Either way, can't remember what it is. But uh, his, I think it was his brother that replied and was like, big oiler guy. <laughs> so uh, I, I, love I think it. we go with Meech, Meechum or Mitchum just because it sounds like the Meechum Junction. Mitchum. And I want to I want to call Mitchum. him the Junction for the rest of the year. And he's tearing it up. There Mike and, in, yeah. And Eston. <laughs> Um, so, and, and I thought the path I went down was maybe they're looking for East Coast League or something like that. Yeah, I just had somebody like, you think he's going to play with the Oilers? No, I don't. Scouts look at all levels of organization. <laughs> and I, I do know a guy that was a linesman at that game. And he said, like, he is a pro player. Like, he was, he played in the East Coast last year, ripped it up. But like he said, he is pro caliber. So, and I saw your tweet, like David reading the book on him. Yeah, getting good. the Coles notes. Good, Gabe yeah. notes. 
so what who was the uh who was the player of the week if anyone didn't tune into the senior hockey top 10 show player of the week was kent Sauter for his 21 penalty minute uh what a beauty blow up he tweeted, never saw said, that one coming well that was unexpected he tweeted <laughs> but uh and There's then a- we, re- we recorded on Friday. We were sorry. We recorded on Monday night. And oh, then yeah. Drake and Winyard played. Good job. On, on uh, Just got to Go- teach you Edom and Edam, and we're good to go. Hillmond and Hillman and Tuesday night. Hey, some of it's calculated, right? When it comes, <laughs> it comes from over here. So um, we had Winyard in the top 10, but we had him number three. Yeah. Wow. But Drake, who fell out of the top ten, and I think hey. the meat the meat mafia must have been there. Like I said, with their were, pepperoni nunchucks, they were ready. They were ready. They didn't like what was going on, so they kind of sat there, lit a fire under the boys, lit some kubasa under the boys, and they uh, they took it to Winyard the other. You night. know what though? Like, just because Drake won one game out of four doesn't mean oh we shouldn't have taken him out because they played Winyard last weekend, four days before, and lost seven to two. So just because they beat him on home ice doesn't mean I'm ready to put Drake back at the top. We got a whole week. We got a whole week. How many games do they play for our next show? Hold the phone here. Winyard played Winyard, played them Friday. Winyard played Saturday. Winyard played Monday. So they played like three games. It was like their third game in four nights. That's so. a big schedule for Winyard. Yeah. That's, that's the Arctic Spa hot tub of the week uh, yeah. slate right there. Yeah. So I had another message actually with the Long Lake from a guy who said, actually, Belts, he asked who that organization was that takes donated hockey equipment. So if you can let me know after the show or right now, Hello. if you remember, this guy wants to know. But he said, big fan of the show. He said, uh, just a question. How do the wagons in Wadena drop from fourth to fifth when they had one game and they won 12 to two? Just, just wondering. How do they drop after playing one game 12 to two? And I just... Told them strength of schedule. They played watchers. Some of the other teams above them had big wins. So people were like the college football playoff ranking system. There's always going to be haters, right? They're going to always want to know what's the formula. Why is it not the way it is? Well, yeah. and, and people don't know the inner workings of the Monday noon or the software that we purchased from the company in Silicon Valley that <laughs> takes strength of schedule. It takes in every, it, it calculates all that. This is all calculated. So then it tells us where teams should land. And then we have a, a group of insiders around the province. And then that's how we come up with the outcome. A little right bit, there. of a little bit of eyeball test goes into it. It's not just eyeball. goals for and against, but uh, I've only been method. to one game, only been to one game this year. So the old Barry eyeball test, but we got, we got boots on the ground, right? Just cause we're not at them all. Doesn't mean we don't have people that are there. B O G boys, B O G and Boz to answer your question. It's called Reggie youth city.ca. Oh, sorry. Reggie city youth.ca. www. ReggieCityYouth.ca. Okay, so the, uh, people that are confused—that's to donate equipment for underprivileged children to be able to afford. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a—it's an awesome. They'll take any sporting equipment that you got, and uh, yeah, why sell it for two bucks and have that hassle that jabroni not showing up? Just donate it. They'll come pick it up, give you a receipt, and you can write it off. I feel we should tell people how is Reggie spelt though. Is it like Reggie Jackson or Dunlop? Yeah. Um, I'll spell it out for you here right now. R E G I G I E. Yeah. R E G G I E. I thought like Reggie, like short for Regina. R E G I. No. 
R-E-G-G-I-E, cityyouth.ca. Thanks for clearing that up. Hey, another senior hockey message, the Kenton Dooley drama, the free agent tracker yeah. uh, on Kenton Dooley. He is definitely not playing in Cabri. He's, he's suited up for Craig. He's not playing for Cabri. So just to clear that up, a little bit of okay. confusion. In fact, I heard some rumblings that he might play with an elite team in Alberta, allegedly is the latest rumor I heard. But uh, So does he have to get his release from Craig or can he just leave? I don't, like if it's a higher level, he wouldn't have to, he could still play on Craig, no? Like if they're AAA, he could still play in Craig. What, what, sorry, I, I was zoned you can out play up. If, me the question. He can play with Craig and a AAA team in Alberta. Yes. Okay. If I, that's the route he's going. Kelly McClintock from hockey Saskatchewan said this is this is this is a verbatim no this is a hot tip for everybody <laughs> out there no Allen Cup again this year uh, really why he just said there's gonna be no Allen Cup he figures it's gonna be hard to resurrect it again so what happens in Ontario they have that big Allen Cup League Dundas is in there, real yeah. uh, the real McCoys. Um, a few other ones off the top of my head, I can't remember, but they have that league, they're stacked. But he just figures because of the cost, because of the travel, like you know, BC was starting to fizzle out there, Rose Town's now out of the picture, Alberta, not quite sure what's going on there, but he, he doesn't he doesn't see it uh, coming back, okay, which is unfortunate. That's so, cr- it's like the oldest trophy. In- so, what about what about the triple A Monday Nooner Cup? Why don't we fire one up, boys? Boots on we the ground even, in Ontario. Yeah. We, we can't yeah. even get to freaking Bethune for a game. Live show. Hold Might fast. be going to Kindersley in April. Yeah, that would be awesome. Be going to Kindersley in April. Live show, a little MC for Stevie Mac. Friends on this, again. And this week, we only had two, I think, teams message us about the Great Western beer deal. Let's give a plug to our friends at Great Western, original 16 official beer of the Calgary Flames, who won me some cake last night with a minus one and a half cover. I'm going to watch them on Saturday. Over the Florida Panthers. Uh, If you have a team and you're drinking beer, and do not send the Monday Nooner pictures if you're not drinking Great Western, please. Yeah, pigeons. We're, we're We're straight Great Western here. That's our allegiance. That's the way she rolls. Uh, you get a, get a hold of us. Send us a DM. We're going to get you in hold a hold of the closest rep for Great Western to your town. They'll come in. They'll brief you the deal. Basically, the more beer you buy and drink, the more kickback you're getting from Great Western. Get on the deal. I'm talking to you, Dinsmore. The Dinah Schmoes. Dinah Schmoes. Let's go. Is it Dinsmore or Dinsmer? Dinsmer. 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 <laughs> a lot of gear out there uh keep watching our socials we're gonna have uh, a picture of uh, what the store looks like we're setting up uh in, in a mall near you lots of monday nooner gear floating around out there right now new stuff and thanks to gb construction as always for the gear and here we go again we're gonna talk about uh, a chance to go out and twirl in that rink the outdoor oh, rink. yeah but the kipling senior team they're buzzing out there and yeah, we just want to thank so much to Al Batters and everyone at GB Construction for sponsoring the Monday Nooner gear. Brandon's wearing the shirt right now. Uh, we have the hats. We have the license plate covers. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a package. We're gonna do a prize pack giveaway yeah. on social media within the next week or so. Maybe like pre Christmas. Maybe I'll do a little gift basket. I'll take it to the mall and say, "Can you put this in a gift basket and have a little bit of everything nice. for somebody?" 
Yeah, we'll do something. We'll do something like on our social media. As I long like as it. Twitter doesn't get shut down. If Twitter got shut down, we'd be in a world of hurt because that's where 95% of our interactions. Have you guys thought about that? With all this Twitter Elon drama going on? He'll oh, be like, buzzing. He's worth too much money. They're saying like everyone's quitting and stuff. And he's like, I'm not worried. But <laughs> I love Apple it. said they're going to take it out of their app store and beat it. Yeah. So if Twitter ever uh, goes the way of the dodo bird, you can follow us on LinkedIn. <laughs> all right. That was the uh, program. Thanks to all the sponsors. The title, Mainline GM and Mainline Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram in Rosetown, Saskatchewan. Support all of our uh, sponsors as much as you can, or else the Monday Nooner wouldn't be here without them. Now, lost track time. And I got to give a shout out. I don't I don't think they listen to the program, but a lot of guys up north will know this guy. That Brent Hoyness was an absolute weapon, hockey-wise. Played some senior, and his bro, Greg, uh, he was a big fastball player. So the <laughs> Hoyness boys, I'm, this is where I got this from. We're going to go out with a little CanCon. 1980s, you like to play this game, Brandon. Yeah, 1980s belts. This is this is in your wheelhouse. You heard a lot of these guys on the Eagle 94.1 in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Love it. it. Rocker, Canadian party guy. Like to like to get a good party going at his concerts. Brian Adams. Close. I have no idea. Bruce Cockburn. Bicycle hat guy. The hip. No. (laughs) Or or one of those old bike hats with the, the, the lid would be pointed up. Oh boys, you know, know you know his famous song "Patio I, Land." Oh, gimme, gimme, boy, gimme, gimme. Yeah. So you got to listen to this tune, everybody out there. It's "Go for a Soda," but you gotta take a drink every time he says "Broomball makes me thirsty for love." <laughs> Broomball makes me thirsty for love. Here's Kim Mitchell, "Go for Soda" on the Eagle 94.1. Later. Might as well.